Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. This is Brother Jonathan. By request, I have loaded up this week a sermon that I preached in June of this year, and it was on the subject of what did Jesus teach. Um, I had been getting frustrated by the state of modern Christianity at its contradiction consistently with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And uh, I spent a good bit of time praying about it, and this sermon is the result of that. And I pray that you would be edified by listening to it. You would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Gospel of Matthew chapter 10. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have come out, Lord, because of your name, Lord, and because of your truth, Lord, in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us, Lord, as we go through your word, Lord. Lord, that your spirit would bear witness to the truth of your word, Lord that all hearts will be drawn closer to you, Lord. Lord, that as many as have need, Lord, that you would convince them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come, Lord. Lord, that they would come to know you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with me, Lord. Let no one be thinking of me, Lord, but let every eye be on Christ, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give us all ears to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. The things which have been on my heart recently, I can't even say recently, that have been uh, very present upon my heart, that I've put so much time in prayer about, um, even before coming to Dunbar Mountain Mission, um, there was a time whenever I was led to the Lord and just ran wholeheartedly after the Lord. You'd read 30 to 50 chapters of your Bible a day because one, I had the time, and two, I had the desire. But there was a point of a couple years after I got saved whenever certain things that I was reading in the scriptures were really bothering me. And the church that I was going to at the time really bothered me the more that I read the scriptures. And so, a lot of what's on my heart that I've been praying about for such a long time, I feel like the Lord has given me liberty to speak about. And so, just please remember that in all preaching, it is not what the preacher says. It is not his opinions. It is not whether or not you agree with it or whether or not you like it. The issue for a Christian is truth. And what does the scriptures say? And so, in remembering that, let's look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. We'll read. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. 
As Christians, we are not called to deal with subtlety. We are not called to deal with things beating around the bush. We deal with eternal things that have eternal consequences. And so the Lord tells us that we should not be afraid of the world if they should hate us and call us devils because they called Christ a devil. He says, that which he tells us in darkness, that speak ye in the light. The things that the Lord teaches you from his word, you ought not to hide. And he says, that which ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Now, by way of introduction, the word Christian means follower of Christ. The word disciple means a follower, an adherent to the doctrines of another. And the word follow by very definition means to walk after, practice, or act in conformity to that which is being followed. And we'll be going through a lot of scriptures this evening, so um, if you're able to, please just write down the notes. I'll read every one of them, but please wait to turn to certain passages until I tell you because there's probably 50 plus verses of scripture I'll be referencing. So, so to be a Christian or a disciple of Christ, by definition of the words that the Lord himself uses, is to walk after, practice, and act in conformity to the teachings and doctrines of Jesus Christ. So we should speak as Jesus spoke, walk as Jesus walked, and believe as Jesus taught, without exception, or be growing to that end. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So the Lord tells us it is his yoke that we take upon ourselves, and it says that we are to learn of Christ. In Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, Jesus said, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me, I will show you. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great." So the Lord in teaching us says, those who say, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say are not his. They are not building their life upon Christ. They are not building their life and working upon the teachings that he has given. And he says, the end thereof is a very great fall. He says, those who call him Lord, Lord, and do those things are the ones who are building their life upon the rock of Christ, and they will not be shaken. This sentiment is also repeated in the writings of the apostles. Paul writing to first, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3-4 through 4 says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. So he says, If any man teach other than what the Lord Jesus Christ taught, and that is the doctrine that is according to godliness. He says, if anybody teach otherwise than the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says he is proud knowing nothing. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-6, through 6, the apostle John says, And hereby we do know that we know him, 
if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So those who are continuing in Christ ought to be walking even as Christ walked. And if that bothers anybody, let me remind you that in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul said that if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Christians are led by the Spirit of God, and for that's what we are told. It says, they that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, and no one else. Knowing that the Scriptures set forth this truth, that Christ alone is the sole teacher of Christianity, the question that we are going to ask and is the topic which we'll be talking about, is what did Jesus teach? If Christianity solely finds its fullness in Christ Jesus and his teachings, there should be nothing controversial about anything that he has taught to Christians. And now sadly, before we go on to this, there was a first principle which I have much experience in in the past. See, whenever I got saved and I felt called to preach, I immediately did what everybody else does. You start looking at Bible colleges and seminaries. You start reading the textbooks. You start reading the very high intellectual works of men that are very highly esteemed. John Phillips, C.I. Schofield, Ryrie, Harold Wilmington. All of these men, Clarence Larkin, and so I gave myself wholly to them, and I practiced according to their doctrine. Some people teach that all or parts of Christ's teachings were not meant to be obeyed by Christians, but were part of a previous dispensation of the law. That is what I was taught. So I know the ins and outs of every single bit of this theology, and it is the loudest voice in Christianity today, and has been for a hundred years, though not one tenet of it was found in church history for the previous 1900 years. Here are some basic reasons why this teaching is not true. One, it contradicts Christ's own words about when the time of the law of Moses ended. In Luke chapter 16, verse 16, Christ said, the law and the prophets were until John, referencing John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. This verse clearly states, Christ's own preaching was not of the law of Moses, but was about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Number two, it contradicts Christ's commandments to the apostles as part of the Great Commission. Christ told them, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so the Lord tells them, all things that I have taught you in my earthly time and teaching, three and a half years that you have been with me, you go and teach others to do the exact same things likewise. Number three, it contradicts Christ's own teachings. Christ taught that there is nothing that man can eat that can defile him, like under the law of Moses. And that point contradicts the law of Moses. The law of Moses said you can't eat shellfish, you can't eat birds of prey, and all these sorts of things, and that if you did, you were defiled, had to go offer a sacrifice, and you were unclean until the evening. Christ said, there is not that which goeth into a man that defileth him, but that which cometh out. 
These three points make clear that what Christ taught throughout His entire earthly ministry was intended for Christians under the New Covenant. And all His commandments and all the Gospels are still expected to be obeyed today. So as of first importance, how did Jesus preach the Gospel? Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one who authored the Gospel directly under the Father's leading. So he alone would know truly how to preach the gospel in the best way. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. At the end of his earthly ministry, just before his crucifixion, he says in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So from the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 4, just after his temptation, to the end of his earthly ministry, just before his crucifixion, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And he even states here that this gospel is the gospel that would be preached in all the world. And then the end of the world and the return of the Lord would happen. And since that is not the case, the world is still here and Christ has not returned, we can assume that it is the exact same gospel of the kingdom that we are to be preaching today. So from Luke 16, 16, all the way to the end of the book of Acts, decades later with the Apostle Paul in Rome, it says, from Jesus Christ to the Apostle Paul decades later, it was the same gospel of the kingdom being preached. You go through the, the, all the Gospels and you go through the entire book of Acts and it says the, the apostles went here preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God. Paul goes to the synagogue, disputes with the Jews concerning the kingdom of God. And all the way down to the very last chapter of the book of Acts, it is the kingdom of God and the gospel of the kingdom of God that Paul is speaking of. So how did Christ and the apostles present the gospel? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now if you search the entirety of the gospels in the book of Acts, you will notice what is not said and what is not used to draw sinners to Christ or to present the gospel. Jesus loves you is not once ever said in the means to use sinners to draw them to Christ. Let me illustrate to you why. There are two people. Both of them are walking onto an airplane. The stewardess hands the first man a parachute and says, Here, the captain really loves you and wanted to give this to you. It will make your flight better. He goes and he sits down in his flight, his flight chair with a parachute strapped on, and he is extremely uncomfortable. The parachute is very uncomfortable to wear. People eventually point at him and laugh and say, Sir, why do you have a parachute on in the airplane? Eventually he becomes frustrated, takes it off, and casts it to the ground. Because as far as he was concerned, the fact that it was supposed to improve his flight at all was a complete lie. The second man is told... Sir, here is a parachute. In about 30 minutes, we're going to be jumping out of the airplane at 30,000 feet. That man really doesn't care what everybody else says. He goes to his seat, he straps it on, and he holds to it tight. In fact, he will be telling the other members of the plane they need to put their parachutes on. 
Because as far as he's concerned, if he takes it off, he knows that there will be certain death. But as long as the parachute is on, he will be saved because the parachute is able to save him. The motive of the sinner coming to Christ is of first importance. Asking Jesus into your heart is not once named in the Gospels or the book of Acts as a means to draw people to Christ. It's never once mentioned in the entirety of Scripture. Again, telling people God will fix all their problems is not once to use to draw sinners to Christ. And there is a problem with this. The gospel is not just for the broke down, the beaten, the drunken, the drug addicts, and the poor people. It is for the rich, the affluent, the happy, the cultured, and intelligent people also. Why? Because the gospel is about sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, not about life fulfillment, life enhancement, or whether or not someone loves you. The Lord said, count the cost, which means it costs something to belong to Jesus Christ. He said, deny yourself, not love yourself, and be who you are. He said, if you love father, mother, sister, wife, or your own children more than him, you are not worthy of him. And in case anyone would like to say nobody's worthy of Christ, Christ's own words contradict that fact. Because he said in Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, and in another place in the Gospels, he said, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So conversely, what we could see is, you are not worthy if you do not overcome, and you will not be clothed in white raiment. You will not walk with the Lord. And he will blot your name out of the book of life, and he will deny your name before the angels in heaven. The gospel is always preached, commanding the lost to repent. In every single place it is presented, that is the message that is given. Many of you may be thinking, Brother Jonathan, we know that. That's what we do. I know that we say it, but it is quite another thing to expect it. And to uphold it. So then the question is, not my opinion, what did Jesus teach about repentance? Turn to Matthew chapter 21. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 28. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him the first, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Jesus taught that the young man who repented was the one who did the will of his father. The Lord taught that that is what will result in entering into the kingdom of God. That is saving repentance and faith. The man who said, I go and did nothing, the Lord said, that is not the kind that enters into the kingdom of God. Some of you may again say, Brother Jonathan, we're saved by grace through faith and not of our works. You're certainly emphasizing a lot of doing. Yes, absolutely. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not of ourselves. 
But what did Jesus teach about faith? What did Jesus teach about believing? John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now I want you to notice, he says, he that followeth me. That is the definition of a Christian, a follower of Christ. He says, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. It is an impossibility to follow Christ and walk in darkness. Otherwise, what you say is that you are a follower of Christ. You say, I am a Christian. I follow Christ. Then your actions, you are saying, are the actions of Christ. So be very careful what you attribute to Jesus Christ. If we are following him, we are not walking in darkness. And the results, Christ said, is that we have the light of life that is in Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but their works deny that they ever knew the Lord. He says, they worked iniquity. And in notice, it is Christ is the one who is casting them into hell. Turn to Mark chapter 2. How can we say that it is doing the will of God that makes us enter into the kingdom of heaven? Because that's what the Lord here teaches. He is Jesus Christ. He knows grace and faith more than anyone else. How can we say that it is doing the will of God that makes us enter into the kingdom of heaven and also be saved by grace through faith? Well, let's see what Christ taught about faith. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. We pass through this passage. Probably all of us have heard it preached a hundred times about the four men and the faith it took to bring him. But I want you to notice what the description that is given in one couple of words. When Jesus saw their faith, question that is, how can Jesus see faith? There is not some mystical aura around people who have faith that everybody's like, oh, that's a Christian. We can see it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which is widely held to be the definition of faith given from the scripture, says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Question then is, how can faith be the evidence of things not seen if faith itself is not seen. And the book of James makes it very clear. He says, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. So the sentiment being, as the illustration I think I've given before, if a man ran in here and said, the building is on fire, if you do not get out, you will certainly die. 
and you say thank you and stay in your seat, what is the, the only logical conclusions that we can come from your believing him? One, you don't believe him, but you lied and said that you did. Two, you're deceived as to what he means or can't understand it. Or three, you're a hypocrite or a rebe rebel and you want to die. Hypocrites, liars, and rebels are three words that are given to describe the lost by God himself. But if you get up and you walk out, it shows that you believed him. So then faith, if it hath not works, is dead because it shows that you do not have faith. Some may then say, Brother Jonathan, no one knows the heart but God alone. So we can't expect these things all the time. That's what I used to think, and I taught that before. But what does Jesus Christ teach? Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Starting in verse 33. What did Jesus teach about how you live outwardly and the state of your heart? Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 35. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Christ teaches very clearly, men do and speak that which is in their hearts. You want to know what is in someone's heart? What are they doing? How do they spend their time? How do they invest their money? What is dear to their heart? And in Mark 6, 21, it says the same thing. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A Christian treasures Jesus Christ, and so their heart is with him. Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 through 20 says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. So what proceeds out of the heart? For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. And that the Lord says, it is because these things are in their heart to do them, that they do them. So if someone professes to be a Christian, and they are engaging in fornication, it does not bother them. They do not repent of it. You have no scriptural reason to esteem that person as a Christian by the words of Jesus Christ himself. Some people will then say, seeking to justify themselves, Brother Jonathan, no one really knows who the true Christians are. Everybody knows that. Is that what Jesus taught? Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Just one chapter over. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant saith unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together into the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. 
but gather the wheat into my barn. This is one of the most common passages used to say that nobody knows who the true Christians are. They'll say, Jesus said it himself. There's tares and the wheat there. He said, don't gather them up. You don't know the difference. The average interpretation of this passage says, the field is the church. There are tares and the wheat in the church. No one can tell the difference between them, and we have no authority to try to separate them. The problem with those things is that Jesus himself interpreted the parable a few verses later. Look at verse 36 through 40. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world." Christ himself teaches that the field is the world, not the church. It nowhere even implies that there are supposed to be tares in the church. Christ says it is when the wheat brought forth fruit that the difference was shown between them and the tares. It says, then the tares appeared. And even the Apostle Paul taught that if any man called himself a Christian and lived in sin, the brethren were supposed to separate from him so that he would be ashamed and repent. Otherwise, they were to esteem him as a lost man. Christ said the thing that separated the children of the kingdom from the children of the wicked one was that they brought forth fruit. John 15 makes it very clear that those who are continuing in Christ will bring forth fruit. It is unavoidable unless they are not continuing in Christ. The same is also confirmed by the words of the Apostle John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. It says, in this, the children of God are manifest. They work righteousness. The children of the wicked one do not. So Christ and the apostles taught that you can absolutely identify those who are believers by their fruits. Because out of the abundance of their heart, their mouth speaks. What is treasured in their heart will show in how they live, what they speak, and what they do. What are some other things that Jesus taught that contradict the average churchgoer's beliefs? The world and the believer will be at enmity. They will be contrary the one to the other. In John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, Christ said, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 16, when Christ is praying unto the Father before his crucifixion, he says, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Notice he says, even as he is not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Christ said to his lost family, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. If Christ said the world would hate us, and Christ said the world hated him because he testified unto it that the works thereof are evil. What does that imply about how Christians act about the, script, about the way of the world? 
We're told in Ephesians to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather to reprove them. If the world has your affections, then the Lord doesn't. We are told in 1 John chapter 4 that the love of the world is the enmity with the love of God. You cannot love God and love the world. If you spend your time watching TV, going to the movies, hanging out at the mall with your friends, and you have absolutely no care or concern for the things of God Monday through Saturday, you are not a Christian. If you are the same thing you have always been since you made a profession, you are not a Christian. That's what Christ taught. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Christ said, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Many today teach it is okay to remarry after divorce. In order to do so, you must set aside the very clear teachings of Christ. And if those who follow Christ follow his doctrines, what does that imply? Someone who truly desires to please God does not make excuses for not keeping his word. And they don't create loopholes to get themselves out of it. Christ is very clear about what he commands. Christ also taught in Matthew chapter 5. Verses 33 through 37. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Oaths under any sort of penalty, Christ says, and he condemns them as evil. Now I will be very blunt and very plain. There is more than one person in this very room who has taken oaths under the penalty of death to a certain group that I will not name presently. And I will say very plainly, so that only you know who I am speaking to. When you sat there in your dimly lit room with them, and you stripped down to your underwear, and you put a bag over your head with a noose around your neck, and they poked you in the chest with a sword and made you confess yourself unto them, that they may teach you their secret doctrine, I want you to ask yourself, do you really think that you were pleasing Jesus Christ? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Jesus taught these things after this manner. His followers teach them also. Be careful lest you should put words in the Lord's mouth that he never said nor intended, because it is to him whom you will give account. So let's put these two views in contrast. A person who teaches and practices according to the teachings of Jesus Christ goes as follows. I, and if anybody asks, I will give them a scripture for every single statement that I make here. When conversing with an unbeliever, he speaks of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. He shows him how he has broken the commandments of God, and therefore the wrath of God abides on him. 
He makes it personal with the man and not general. He goes the way of Samuel the prophet unto David the king, who did not realize his sin, though Samuel told him about another man who had done the same thing. And Samuel says unto him, Thou art the man. He did not say, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Why? Because the book of Romans was written to Christians, not to lost men. If the man understands these things and shows conviction of sin and humbleness toward God for his sin, then the believer continues on to grace. If the man does not humble himself but seeks to justify himself in self-righteousness, then the believer does not offer him grace but leaves him under conviction and the law because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The believer continues with the humble man to tell how Christ died for the ungodly to make a sacrifice for sin and that the man should repent of his sin, put his faith in Christ, and then do works meet for repentance to show that he didn't repent. The believer, upon seeing the man confess his sin and cast himself upon Christ after some manner, will expect to see an outward change in the man in a reasonable amount of time. He will encourage him to put away sin and worldliness, give himself wholly to the Word of God, earnestly seek the face of God in prayer, and live an inward and outward life of holiness according to the commandments of God. If the believer does not see a change in the life of the new professing believer to one of holiness and separation from the world, then he warns him to change his ways. If the man does not repent, in accordance with the commandments of Scripture, he will bring one or two other Christians with him to encourage the man to repent and live according to the commandments of God. If the man refuses to repent still, he is taken before the entire congregation and is encouraged to put away sin and worldliness according to the scriptural standards. If the man refuses still to put away sin and worldliness, then the congregation separates from him and esteems him to be a lost man yet in his sins. If at any time the man repents and orders his life according to the word of God, he is received again in fellowship and continues to grow in knowledge of the scriptures and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how it's quite difficult scripturally to end up with tares in the church. A person who teaches and practices according to the teachings of churchianity goes as follows. Let's see the contrast. When conversing with an unbeliever, the churchian speaks of the church he attends. How wonderful it is, how nice the people are, how pretty the choir sings, and how he's been going there since he was five years old. Church is the abundance of this man's heart, not Jesus Christ. If ever talking to the person about the gospel and not church, he will speak of sin generally and not specifically or directly. All men have sinned. Everybody knows they've sinned against God. He will not define sin and make a personal application or appeal to the man. Because of this, the man will not be offended. But he will also not know God's standards of righteousness or what sin is. He will not, let him, he will not tell him God is angry with him and that the wrath of God abides on him, and that unless he repents, he will be cast into hell justly by God. He emphasizes that Jesus loves him, or that he has a God-shaped hole in his heart, or that God can heal his marriage, help him get sober and clean, or give him peace in his life. The man is told it is easy to be saved, and that he must ask Jesus into his heart. He will not be told to count the cost, to take up his own cross and follow Christ, to deny himself, to love God more than anyone else, to expect persecution, that he must keep the commandments of God, that he must endure to the end, and that he must do the will of God from the heart. So he prays a prayer sincerely. He sincerely wants love in his life, to be happy and satisfied in life, 
to ease his conscience, and to enjoy a community of really nice and positive people. Besides, he knows he's made mistakes in his life before, and God's probably not happy with every one of them. He is told he has been born again, that if God gave him eternal life, he could never lose it, because it's a gift he didn't earn, and eternal life is eternal, right? He is treated as a Christian, though the only difference in his life is that he comes to a nice building three times a week, and there enjoys talking with nice people about nice things. He likes the preacher a lot. He's a really good speaker, though it's hard for him to remember sometimes what he was teaching because his mind wanders a lot. All he knows is that he can't take more than 30 minutes. He's got places to be. He doesn't read his Bible much, if at all. He finds it hard to understand and rather dull. He'd much rather watch the newest movie or TV show that everyone is talking about. He especially likes Christian movies also because they really stir his emotions and make the Bible come alive even though they tell things very differently than his Bible. He is never called worldly or carnal because it's not loving to do so. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do all the convicting and negative things unless he's leading everyone to sing. Besides, they can't judge him. No one knows who the true children of God are. Everyone knows that. He never misses church. Every time the doors are open, he's there. It's really important to him. He tries to get involved. It's good to try to make an impact on the community and invite people to church. But if he ever gets out of church or distracted from spiritual things, he can always console himself with the fact that Jesus loves him and he will never leave him nor forsake him. So he thinks to himself, I will just sit back, relax, and enjoy my salvation. In closing, turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, starting in verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Do you come to the light of God's word, and do you examine every single aspect of your life, every thought, word, and deed, to see if it is pleasing to Jesus Christ? Christ himself describes that as, the, that as the heart and mind of a Christian, someone who does the truth of God. And everything that is contrary to God, they will cast down and separate themselves from it because it offends God. They need no other reason. John chapter 14, verse 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Did you notice what he said? And he says it two verses later in the exact same thing, and again in John chapter 15. Don't console yourself thinking Jesus loves me anyways, for God is love, right? Christ said right there, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. Yes, we know from John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says the exact same thing. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, that he died for us. But let me tell you one thing very clearly. It says God loves the world. And we know few there be that go on into the kingdom of God. Christ's own words. Just because God loves people, that does not mean they are saved. 
And it does not give anybody an excuse to not keep his commandments or obey his word. Now, as we close, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, these are your words, Lord. They are straight from the pages of the, your word, Lord. I ask you, Lord, by your spirit, impress it upon the hearts to everyone here, Lord. Lord, that they would love you with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, Lord, and their neighbor as themselves, Lord. Lord, draw them to you, Lord, and give them a deeper understanding and a more perfect understanding of your word, Lord, and what you desire of, of your children, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring forth fruit through every single one, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us now in Jesus' name. And with every head up and every eye looking at me, are you a Christian? Do you keep the commandments of God intentionally? Do you uphold his doctrine without apology? Please truly examine yourself and see if you were in the faith. He is the one to whom you must give an account. And he is the one who said you must do the will of the Father to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for listening to Remnant Bible Fellowship. We do hope and pray that you would commit your life to Christ and continue in Him. We desire to see people seeking Jesus Christ and coming to know Him personally. If you have questions about salvation, the Bible, or your own walk with Christ, please contact Brother Jonathan by email. Brother John, that's J-O-N, at remnantbiblefellowship.com. That's Brother John at remnantbiblefellowship.com.